Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to the Chasing Frets podcast. My name is Jason Shadrick. I'm associate editor of Premier Guitar, and I'm here with one of my former colleagues, but now kind of a current colleague, Andy Ellis. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing well, Jason. And <laughs> hey, everybody, it's really exciting to be a part of this podcast. Yeah, so uh, since this is the first one, we wanted to, Andy and I want to kind of give a bit of a backstory about what you can expect. And what was kind of the genesis of us doing this? And many times, as Andy and I were working at Premier Guitar together, we'd have these these kind of tangents online, or, or whether we'd be chatting back and forth, or, or video calling, or whatever about about various guitar topics as we're working through a lesson, or working on a feature, or whatever. And it just kind of dawned on me, like, wow, what if we could invite a guest in, and we can kind of turn this into a a short form, you know, a couple times a week podcast. And when I kind of threw that idea to Andy, his eyes kind of like lit up. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It does. You know, for me, Jason, I, I, I know that we are cut from the same cloth, even though we're very different ages. And that is that we play guitar as a lifetime pursuit. And mm -hmm. if we bring guitarists into this podcast who also have guitar playing as their lifetime pursuit. And we just pick their brains and ask them all the questions that we as lifers want to have answered. You know, right. it's a million dollar education and guess what? We get to do it and we get to share it. Yes, as I remember one of the first times you and I hung out, one line that kind of stuck in my mind all those years ago is that we're getting the best education, as, as guitar journalists, we're getting the best education money cannot buy. You know, because we get to, we get to hear directly from like our guest this week, Tommy Emanuel or Charlie Hunter or all the people you've interviewed over your career, and, and same with me. We get to hear firsthand, kind of how they do what they do in their own words. So we are super happy to to bring a bit of that now to to everybody. So uh, we're gonna do three episodes a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we're um, going to alternate. We're going to rotate the co-host a bit. It's going to be uh, me every week. And then some weeks it's going to be Andy and myself. And other opposite weeks, we're going to have uh, one of our good buddies, Joe Gore, uh, hop in uh, and offer his always unique perspective on everything. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that's kind of going to kind of be the lay of the land as far as, as, as we're going forward. So... But uh, we could not think of a better way to kick this off, uh, this podcast off, than bringing in uh, Tommy Emanuel mm. for our first week. And, and, and even on, I can't remember if this is 
we got this on one show or, or on one of these episodes we recorded um, with Tommy or if it was just kind of in between, but he brought up right away that time in the early 90s when, when you met up with him at a recording studio in L.A. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was recording The Journey, his debut album, and uh, I was sent down by Guitar Player Magazine mm -hmm. to do an interview and lesson with Tommy. And mm. he was emerging at the time, and since then, he has had the most amazing career. And I yeah. think it's safe to say that he is the best-known solo guitarist on the planet mm. because his music speaks beyond to other guitarists. It certainly speaks to other guitarists, but beyond yeah. that, it speaks to audiences of all ages. He is a consummate entertainer. Yeah. As you'll see and hear <laughs> <Or> here, yes. <laughs> in this podcast because he is so entertaining. You're yeah. in for a great ride. Yeah, it's I mean when we when we called him up, he had, he had a guitar in hand ready to go and and mm -hmm. I feel like you could probably call him up almost any time of the day and he will be <laughs> having guitar in hand. So, yeah. today's episode we are going to focus on you mentioned he's uh, his solo guitar uh, abilities of course. We're going to focus on that and he's going to kind of break down the nuts and bolts of how he approaches it, how he approaches tunes, how he uh, technique-wise what he uh, gets into, and even some of the more difficult tunes he's uh, uh, had to arrange. You know, he's a day tripper was probably the hardest tune he'd ever had to uh, arrange. So uh, we hope you enjoy this, and we'll be back later this week with a couple more episodes. All right, see y'all. And, uh, and our special guest on this first episode is uh, somebody I'm sure you all are familiar with. Uh, is Tommy Emanuel, all the way from, now you're on the West Coast, huh? I always, thought you, I always think of you based in Nashville. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been in Nashville, and last year I became a U.S. citizen. And um, so I'm, I'm one of the fortunates who have dual citizenships. I'm, a, I'm an Aussie, and I'm an American as well, and very proud very uh, humbled and because uh, this country you know has nurtured me in every way that I could think right back to my childhood when I fell in love with Jimmy Rogers and Hank Williams and Jim Reeves and Chet Atkins and Merle Travis and and every other artist and then along came Merle Haggard and Buck Owens and people like that and that you know I owned a Pontiac I played a Fender I mean I was, just, I was already an American. I was in love with American culture. And, and, and really, in those days when I was a kid, anything that was made in America was the best there was, uh, with, probably with the exception of Mercedes-Benz or something like that. Um, but uh, that's, that's how, you know, and every John Wayne movie filled my soul. So, you know, uh, I, I'm still an Aussie, but I'm also, there's a lot of, there's a big... Uh, gratitude and love for America deep in my, in my heart, deep in the heart of Texas, in fact. <laughs> so uh, the first episode, so we talked a little bit about some topics we're going to cover this week, um, and we're going we're gonna to have you here on for the first three episodes. And the first topic we wanted to talk about is kind of your approach to solo guitar and when um, growing up, would you, was there a point in your kind of playing life where – you decided that you were going to make solo guitar, solo guitar performance more of a priority? Mm. Well, I mean, I could already play quite a few of the Chet Atkins and Merle Travis tunes. By the time I was about 
10, 11, 12, around that age, I could play Windy and Warm, Freight Train, Nine Pound Hammer, all those tunes. And then, of course, I heard Doc Watson a little later and I learned Deep River Blues and all those things. Um, and But I was always playing in bands, but backstage I was jamming away solo all the time and people would say, why don't you do that on stage? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, nobody does that but, but Chet or Leo Cotton or whatever, you know. Anyway, I started uh, in my late 20s, early 30s, I started to branch out and do solo shows in clubs that would normally have a band. And because I played with some balls, um, uh, it, it wasn't like a little a, a folk club atmosphere. It was rock and roll. You know, and, and I realized then that's all I have to do. I just have to rock the house and groove and find the right songs and all that sort of stuff. And people will come and see me, whether I'm playing with a band or an orchestra or what, doesn't matter. So what I did was I, I, I had a band and I had my I had uh, uh, pretty successful albums, one after the other. Um, and I would go out and tour with the band and then I would, I would go back to where I'd been and play solo. And, uh, well, the difference was I didn't have to pay 20 people, you know, crew and band and all that. Yeah. And I could, I could invest the, the money that I made in, you know, a new Fender amp or a, or a, uh, you know, a, a good manager and stuff like that. So, um, and when I'd, uh, I'd come out to sign autographs after the show, people were always saying to me, you know, it was great, love the band, love the show, blah, blah, blah. But the best part of the show was when you just played on your own. And I, I took that to heart, you know. And, uh, and that's just people's taste too, you know. So as much as I love playing in a band, there's no greater thrill than going out and playing to 2,000 people and it's just you and you, your guitar and your songs and that's it, you know. And I never, I never feel the weight of the world on me as a solo player because I'm too busy having too much fun, you know. I enjoy playing just on my own and, and so what's going on in my brain and in my body and, and soul when I'm playing is that I am a band, even though it's just one person, I'm always thinking like a band. And when I write songs, I, I never assume I'm just writing a song for me to play on stage or whatever. I'm always thinking like I'm writing a song for a singer and a band. And so that all that is in here. You know? So if I play, say for instance, if I play a groove like this, So you got you got the, the drummer and the bass player, right? And then, then you've got all the other little bubbly bits. Right? Then I bring the melody and the singer. Nothing's missing, you know what I mean? I, I'm not looking for something else to join in. It's all there. 
And so that's, that's kind of how I move. I move as a group. <laughs> when you compose, and, and you, you talked about bringing that singer in, you know, and, and you gave us the groove, a very funky, nice funky groove, then you brought the singer in, which, of course, was your melodic line. And the harmony singers, like... like... Right? Do you, when you're composing, do you start with the melody or do you start with the groove or does it all sort of come together organically? I usually start, thanks for asking, Andy. I usually start with the melody and the groove around it. You know, uh, this song that I was just playing is a tribute to Chet Atkins. It's called The Man with the Green Thumb. Now, when I wrote this song, which was about, uh, what, uh, 2001 or two, something like that. So um, I was listening intently to a lot of James Taylor in those days. And when uh, uh, I used to sit and go... <laughs> copper line right so and, and the song kept haunting me and like grabbing me and and I, and I started to think like what is it about this song that's really got me and what it was was that that constant movement d to b minor d to b minor right and so i put it here then i took the capo off and i put it there and then i went boom -choo. And so that original, I thought, God, that is so beautiful with that constant move, moving. So I put it there and then. Then, uh, and I had this, that kind of Appalachian sound, Irish sound. about an hour to write that song it, it just came all pouring out of me once I got the, once I got that thing going the other thing I want to tell you is that uh, I knew it was about Chet because uh, he's the man with the green thumb in other words a person who has a green thumb every seed they plant blossoms right and that's the kind of guy Chet was you know anybody who came in contact with him their life got better they learned they blossomed, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. And the other thing is there's a little Merle Travis quote in the first bar of the bridge. See, that's the opening phrase of Saturday Night Live. Because Chet said to me one time, I would be looking at the rear end of a mule if it wasn't for Merle Travis. So, you know, in other words, he'd be out plowing the field. And so I, uh, I figured, you know, I can't write a song about Chet without putting Merle in there somehow. Mm. So, and it's, it's so interesting when you, when you talked about the process behind that song because it, it basically sounds like, like the phrasing of the melody is very James Taylor-ish, now you mention it, but it's like Chet's backing him up. Exactly. Exactly right. And, and of course, James Taylor 
not only phenomenal songwriter and everything, great arranger, great guitar player, everything, but his music has an element of Celtic uh, underbelly kind of thing. A lot of his stuff is very Celtic, Scottish and Irish, you know, and I love that about him. So I try to do the same thing. I try to let that Irish and, and Scottish influence seep into me and come out in my music, you know, because some of my favourite players, you know, a guy like Martin Simpson, um, uh, that they, they've grown up with that sound. It's in their blood. And it's in mine too, you know. But I've just got that great influence of the English rock and roll, the Beatles, and then you've got Celtic music, and then you've got country music from America and bluegrass music, which comes from Ireland anyway. So it, 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 it's a beautiful blend of all those things. Yeah. So we talked a little, you talked, mentioned about how kind of your composing method, method is when it comes to solo guitar. When it comes to learning a learning a tune, because in many instances of you just kind of almost reinventing for some people tunes that they've known and love, what's kind of your technical approach to that? Do you do you do the melody first and then find a rhythm and groove that supports it? or um, First of all, I only do covers if I really love the song and if I think I can interpret it uh, that would do the composer justice kind of thing. You know, that's why uh, some people just shouldn't play Imagine, you know, because that song means so much. And some people do, you know, and uh, I had a go at it. I love it so much. Um, I think I, what I've learned in my life is that when, you, when you're playing a cover, you better be respectful to the, the, the melody and the composer. You know, Chet always drummed it into me, you know, play the melody as the composer intended. Don't don't just throw it out there because because you've you've got abilities to be able to play it willy nilly in any style blah blah blah. Now when I play somewhere over the rainbow, I'm I'm still singing it. See, I'm, I'm copying a singer and I just do that naturally. I don't, I, I, I've never, you know, sat down and said, right, I've got to play like a singer. I've just evolved that way as a player. So, uh, and, and then songwriting, uh, like, right, well, let, let's go to Lady Madonna, for instance. You know, uh, the, the funny thing is that people are always suggesting to me, because they know better than me, but so they think they, they say, oh, you should do a version of blah, blah, blah. You should do this. You should do that. And, yeah. And I'm like, do you have any idea how that song won't work as an instrumental? But I'm not going to tell you that. You know what I mean? People are always wanting, come on, man, play Freebird. Well, fuck that. You know, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm playing music that I think uh, the melody has to really stand up to me, you know. And so uh, when I came to working out Lady Madonna, which is a killer melody, you know, it's, it's got everything. So I, I wanted to, to, to play the piano part. Right? And then I wanted to play the singing part. 
So what I had to do was put the two together and then I had to work that out really slowly bar by bar because it's two separate moves. So at a snail's pace, at a student's pace, this is what Lady Madonna might sound like. Play that in tempo. See, so technically, I'm not thinking about all those moves I just made because I've already practiced them. My hands know what they're doing. So as soon as I start to play it, I'm the band and I'm, I'm backing the singer who's singing it with feeling. So, Lady Madonna, children at your feet, wonder how you managed to make it. Who finds the money when you pay the rent? <laughs> now, that, that's not easy to do, but it, it's a lot of work goes into getting it to that point. But it's really worth it because now, the technique of doing it is invisible. All you're hearing is the music and the groove and what the singer's doing, and, and it all works, you know? How do you keep track of your process? So let's say Lady Madonna. Yep. You said a minute ago that, you know, um, one of your songs came to you in an hour, but something like this must take many, many hours. Definitely. I mean, I think the song that took the most amount of time was um, uh, Day Tripper. Because I had to get... Right? Uh, you know what you want to do. I know I want to play both parts at the same time. And, and so this is something that my hands have, and my brain have never done. So I'm going to have to go with baby steps, you know. Like slower than that. And then eventually, basically, it's like in, in three parts. First of all, you work out all the fingering and the positions. And then you go over it and over it and double check that you've got everything absolutely right when you're certain of that then you switch and you go to practice mode and you don't play anything else but that new those new skills that you've learned because not music yet you've learned skills you practice and practice and practice and practice and keep practicing until the skill slowly becomes music and then you stop thinking about what you've trained your hands to do and you start listening to the music and pouring your personality and your emotion and all that into it but what most people don't say and this is the absolute god's truth is that when you're learning something new it's not music yet it's skill when you practice those skills enough and your brain and your hands are in total coordination with concentration, then the music arrives. And that's a great day. The sun shines, the bird sings. That's why I live, because I'm waiting for that moment. Does it come in a moment that you just go, ah, day tripper? Or do you tape yourself? Do you listen back and you find, you know, this is beginning to sound like music. 
I listen a thousand times, believe me. I am I am a tough critic on myself, but that's important. When I when I've got a new arrangement, I'll record it and listen back. Record it and listen back. Take a break, do a show, whatever, get up the next morning and before breakfast I'll play it again. And be I'd have to be absolutely sure that something that's difficult to play and has taken a lot of practice is, is that it's all working and that musically it's all good, you know? So at what point does it go from there to I'm ready to put it in a set list? Oh, it depends. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty extreme in that area. Like some songs I've written uh, in the bus on the way to a show and I've played it at the show that night. And then there are other pieces, like, for instance, let me do something really dangerous for you. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Hooray. We, we laugh at danger. <laughs> I, I practiced this for almost a year before I played it on stage. So check this out. of secret love it's dangerous because you you can't afford to miss one of those harmonics you know and they've got to ring on everything if it's not perfect and you can't do it because you you're you're totally naked you know you're exposed and i quite often tell people you know you need to practice a lot more because when you're on stage you better be okay about being naked because everything is exposed including your abilities your arrangements, your sound, uh, your technique, everything is amplified. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've got to suck it up and get out there, but you've got to, if you put the work in, you can strut out there like the, like the, the, the barnyard rooster and start crowing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy, I, I couldn't uh, think of a better way to, uh, to launch this podcast and to have you as a guest. And, and thank you for all your, your insights and stories on this. Uh, we're looking forward to having you uh, again the rest of this week. All right. So, yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Jason. Uh, and, and thanks, Andy. It's been, uh, it's been a joy to talk to you about my favorite subject, playing the guitar. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for, for tuning in and come back on Wednesday when we'll have Tommy back and we'll be talking all about Chet Atkins. Thanks a lot.